Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com. I Work, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian Talk Radio. You know, every day on I Work For Him, we work really hard at connecting what we learn on Sunday with what we do Monday through Friday. And some of you work Monday through Sunday. However you work, this show is here just to challenge you to dig deeper in your faith. You know, here's the question for today. How many of you go to church? And how many of you are involved in your church? There's a difference between pew sitting and being involved. How many of you keep God in a box in your life? How many of you are tired of being a spectator in your church? Today, we've got author, speaker, professor, Larry Peabody. He's written this book, Curing Sunday Spectatoritis, From Passivity to Participation in Church. He, he called me, I don't know, six months ago, Jim, I wrote this new book. Would you like to talk about it on the air? So he sent me a little sample copy. I'm like, I absolutely want to talk about this on the air today. Curing Sunday Spectatoritis. There is nothing that frustrates me more when I get stuck being a spectator in my church when the Lord is doing such incredible things in my life. Dr. Larry Peabody, welcome to I Work For Him. Well, good to be with you again, Jim. You know, I'm glad to have you back. I appreciate you reaching out to me, and I really love the book. I got to tell you, the the first five chapters, you know, you get a little bit heavy on the theology for a simple guy like me, but the last chapter, chapter six, when you gave 60 or 70 pages of examples of churches that are trying to break down the 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 fabric of religiosity in the churches today and really get people involved in get Christians involved in church. It was so inspiring. I, I, I loved how you set it up for five chapters and then I love how you laid it down in that last chapter for so many pages of church after church from every corner of our country. Church after church after church of wow. These are pastors that are willing to share the ministry within the four walls of the church. I just thought that was fantastic. Larry, I can't wait to get deep into that conversation, but as I always do with every guest, I, I just, I always want to know, hey, how's Christ working in your life? So how how and what have you seen Christ do in your life recently that revealed the work that he's doing in your life? Well, Jim, I, uh, I teach a graduate course in the theology of work online for the Bakke Graduate University. And my current class includes several students from Ethiopia. They've had a great difficulty in accessing the online classroom uh, because of the unrest over there. And several groups opposed to the government have used the Internet to organize protests 
protest events. So the government, which controls the only Internet service in Ethiopia, randomly shuts it down. That means their only means of communicating is via email, and this has meant a fair amount of additional work for me. But I found that God has been using this to form more of a servant heart in me as I assist these very bright people uh, to move on toward their, toward their degrees. As the enemy goes into overtime trying to prevent your teaching, the Lord always has another plan. And, and I know that the continent of Africa is being going wireless from one end to the other, so I know someday governments won't be able to shut down the Internet because they will need it in order to function. We're talking today in I Work Ram about spectator-itis at church. Are you a spectator at your church, or are you involved in your church? Are you helping be part of the body of Christ in your church? We're talking today with Dr. Larry Peabody, who wrote this book, Curing Sunday Spectatoritis. And I got to tell you, Larry, as I read this book, I was inspired, because if there's one thing that I have wrestled with, it's I want to get involved. I want to help more. I want to hear from people in the body in my church, my local, the little C, my local church, as I hear people talk about all the time, I want to hear, what's Jesus doing in your life? What's Jesus doing in your life? I, want, what's Jesus, I don't want to just hear from the pastor all the time. Our pastor is a gifted teacher, digs through the scriptures in amazing ways, but I want to hear what's going on in other people's lives because my life is, I get inspired by other people's faith stories. So, Larry, I'm excited about this book that you've written, Curing Sunday Spectatoritis. What drove you to write this book? Well, as you know, um, I've, uh, workplace has been a major concern of mine for, well, more than 40 years. And, you know, helping to prepare Christ followers to serve Him in their everyday work. And as you know, I've, I've written two books along that line, and you interviewed me on my book, Job Shadowing Daniel, Walking the Talk at Work. So for years, I've, I've tried unsuccessfully to get churches to incorporate workplace equipping into their agendas to, you might say, to close the, the Sunday-Monday gap. And finally, I began to see that the way we, quote, do church on Sunday has no room for what God is doing in our workplaces uh, because church has become a, a spectator event. The Christians who are living for Christ in those workplaces are not given any opportunity to speak by and large. Well, and what's cool, though, Larry, as you did your research, you started uncovering pastors around the country that were feeling the same thing you were feeling and are starting to do something about it. And you've got Bob Hyatt joining us. Bob, welcome to I Work For Him. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's so grateful that you take the time. You know, Larry, why don't you introduce Bob, and then, Bob, i got some questions for you. Well, Bob is about uh, two hours south of us here. Bob's in Portland, Oregon. We're up in Olympia, Washington, the state capital. And uh, my wife and I drove down and uh, had a, a wonderful time with him in his office. And he was kind enough to grant an interview, uh, which I've included in the book. Well, so, Bob, talk to me about your, your church. What's the name of your church? It's called the Evergreen Community. Evergreen Community. All right, so... What was, to you, what is Sunday spectatoritis? <laughs> I think it's that tendency to come, to sit, to receive, and then to leave. 
I like that. And there's a lot of that going on. And your phone is a little bit choppy, Bob. So if you could back it away from your mouth just a little sure, bit. Sure, so I apologize. No, no, no problem. No problem. I just don't want people to turn away because they're like, wow, that guy's really loud. All right. So how did spectatoritis impact your church and what have you done about it? So how, how did spectatoritis impact your church? Well, I'd say it. it uh, I don't know that it has. We really planted our church 12 years ago out of a desire to do something different from many of the places that we had come from. Uh, and so we began to do things like use dialogue in our sermon time from the very beginning. All right, so you did it from the beginning. When you planted the church, you're like, no, i got to have it different. So talk to me about what are you doing what are you doing to cure spectatoritis as you impact your part of the body of Christ? Well, uh, the thing that, that we talked, I talked most with uh, Larry about in the book was our use of dialogue during the sermon time. Open-ended questions where we're, we're not asking them rhetorically. We're, we're asking for people to actually answer uh, and to uh, give us some feedback, to talk to one another. And what I like, I was thinking about this today, what I like about this is I'm not a great storyteller. Uh, I, I think I'm a capable preacher, but not a great storyteller. And so a lot of that narrative piece that many people talk about bringing into preaching now is missing from my sermons. But when I ask open-ended questions and I say, tell me about a time when, and suddenly people all over the, all over the church are, are able to say, well, I remember when that happened to me, or, or this is my experience with that. And we use that as a, as a means of getting people emotionally to that place where what we're going to look at in the Scriptures that morning um, is able to uh, impact them in, into that space emotionally where the, the Gospel will be good news to them. Dr. Larry Peabody wrote the book, Curing Sunday Spectatoritis, and we've got Bob Hyatt on the phone. He's a pastor in, at Evergreen Community in Portland, Oregon, and he planted his church to cure. Sunday spectatoritis. Bob Hyatt, we're in, you were in the middle of a story, and I had we had to take a break. Talk to me about how you said that you've kind of addressed this issue by asking open questions that you actually allow people in your congregation to answer. Yeah, yeah, and what's what's amazing is, and to speak to the spectatoritis part of it, is I've uh, I've always been amazed to see how it draws people in and makes them lean forward, both physically and, and just emotionally, into the content of what we're talking about that morning, which is why we don't say, we, we're, I'm going to preach a sermon. It's, we're going to do a discussion. There's a sermon piece to it where I'm definitely drawing out of Scripture, exegesis. There's a point at which there's no more discussion, and I just go and I preach and preach the gospel, and, and the other pastors in our community do the same. But we always begin with that piece of drawing in the community by asking these open-ended questions, not Bible knowledge questions, not yes or no questions, but, but open-ended where they get to share some of their experience, and it helps them access emotionally the place where we believe God wants to meet them that morning. All right, so give me an example of one of these open-ended questions that you ask and that you let people sitting in the pews respond to. Absolutely. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we were, uh, we're still in the book of James. We're finishing it this week, but we were talking about where James talks about our words and our language and, and how we use it in, in regard to other people. 
And I asked the question, I just said, tell me about a time when somebody spoke to you and it had a deep impact on you, whether positive or negative. And I told a story about how uh, someone had spoken words of encouragement to me and it made a huge difference, stuck with me for weeks and weeks. And all around the, the auditorium, people began to share similar stories, uh, kind of following my lead in that. And then I told the story of a time when somebody spoke to me and it just devastated me. And that, and I could feel the, the crowd with me, just, <laughs> I could feel them uh, feeling my pain with me and accessing their own, thinking about times when somebody had said something to them that was so discouraging. And that allowed us to move into the words of James, not clinically, not uh, as mere observers, but as participants in what, in what the Word of God was saying to us, having just recently thought about and felt what it was that God wanted to address in our own hearts and lives. Well, and that is so powerful. You're, you're asking questions, letting people share from their hearts and, and experience. I mean, it's not just everybody listening to you. It's people listening to the Spirit as He moves through people's lives and sharing it in your congregation. Yeah. Bob, I, I, I just I appreciate you willing to share it in Larry's book. I appreciate you willing to share it with the I Work For Him audience. Know that you are an inspiration to those listening, because people listening today are going to go back to their pastor go hey can we share some of the stuff that god's doing in our lives that that's it's powerful bob hyatt thanks so much for calling in from portland oregon from evergreen community if you're listening in portland oregon today and we have listeners there bob make sure you check out bob's church evergreen community in portland oregon bob thanks for calling in today Thank you for having me. Larry, I, I think one of the biggest things that Bob just addressed there is he, he's involving his congregation to get involved in the conversation that starts at the pulpit, but they're drawing him in. It, so uh, would you say there's a cure for Sunday spectatoritis? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Elton Trueblood originally diagnosed the disease uh, more than a half century ago. Uh, he said that there's a terrible disease in our churches and it's called spectatoritis. And he says the cure is participation, participation, participation. Uh, you know, the antonym for the verb to spectate is the verb to participate. So if you want to cure the disease of spectatoritis, um, you know, church leaders need to structure congregational meetings in ways that not only permit but encourage participation, the, the opportunity to contribute to ask questions, to share what God is doing the other six days. So, and and that's it. We're just trying to we're trying to build community in our churches. And, and I think that one of the most powerful things I got out of the first five chapters of your book before you went into that whole chapter of here's all the churches and how they're addressing curing Sunday spectatoritis, Larry, was this this whole concept of one anothering. I mean, that's, that's, it sounds kind of weird when you talk about, hey, let's talk about the one anothering that the church is supposed to be active in, but let's talk about some of those one anothering features that churches are supposed to happen that is talked about in the, in the books of the book of Acts. Sure. Um, I, uh, well, not just the book of Acts, but throughout the New Testament, there are probably 50 or more one anothering or each othering, um, commands, instructions, and those all came out of John thirteen thirty four to 35, which is Jesus' new command. And Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
And out of that, as I said, out of that came all those other one-anotherings um, throughout the New Testament. Right, so we got people going, hey, what, Jim, you're losing me? I'm going to turn a channel. One-anothering. I, I, that's just because it's not, if you look up in the dictionary, there's nothing that says, hey, here's what one-anothering is. But yet right. you've got specific examples of the things that the church is called to, to one another, like greeting one another. That we're, yeah. we're commanded it. What does that look like in a church, greeting one another? Well, quite often we turn it into about 30 seconds of, you know, stand up and shake hands with with people that you hardly have time to even, you know, get to know at all. Um, but there are churches that are doing that differently um, because a sincere greeting says you're accepted, you're valuable, you're safe, you're loved, um, and it does involve laying down our lives for one another uh, because it's... Uh, you know, it it means we've got to get out of our comfort zone. Well, and, and it's the most awkward time when you visit a church is the greeting time because you don't get enough time, and everybody's greeting all their friends. And as a visitor, you're like, oh, nobody knows me, so they're looking other directions. But greeting one another is that that powerful time where if a pastor would actually let you have five minutes to greet one another, that would be great. Because I go to a church where I show up at nine o'clock for the service, five minutes to nine, and people are streaming in the whole for the next fifteen minutes. So I don't get to greet my friends. But if you give me five minutes, I could actually greet people and hug people and tell them how much I miss them. That would be really cool. Greeting one another—that's a great one. Yeah, praying for one another. You know, we're told to pray for one another. Uh, in many church meetings, the pastors do all the praying. Um, and I wonder, you know, does this help explain when Christians assemble in small groups, at least I've noticed it, that so few are willing to pray in front of others? And that's perhaps because we haven't learned how to do that or seen other people do that um, on, on Sunday morning. Well, and I find there's never any time during a service to actually do any other praying. Like you said, the pastors are doing all the praying. Uh, Martha and I, as we roam the halls before and after services, meet people, sit with people, hear what's going on in their lives, and get to pray with one another before and after services. Uh, but getting to pray for one another wholeheartedly during the service, have you ever seen that example given where people are, other than pastors get to pray during the service? Well, there in, in chapter six of the book that uh, that we're talking about, uh, yeah, there are examples of where they they actually do allow people to uh, to pray for one another. Uh, I, I hate to word, use the word allow because <laughs> that should be you know just built into our church thinking, but uh, that's we've come to that point you know where. Uh, it has to be allowed, I well, guess. And, well, yeah, and I often picture myself, because I'm, I'm a guy that pushes a lot of envelopes, and I often, there's been things where, w- there's been times where I know things have gone on where the where the pastor just needs to break out of the mold. You know, we need to interrupt this service by uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. There's something going on. We need to just stop right now and pray. And, and the pastor didn't do it, and I've wanted to storm the stage and go, Pastor, we just need to pray. And I think I'd be taken out by security. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, maybe shot. I don't know if I'd be shot, but I'd be taken out for, by security. But because we need to be led, and there's been things we're like, "Woo, wow, we just need to pray right now." This yeah, is some well, big like deal. Your cell phone go off in a in a crowded theater. You know, you it, it's just something you don't do. Well, it's something you don't do in Florida because people have been shot for their cell phones going off, and you don't joke about that in Florida. That, that's that's happened. Larry, as we're talking today about your book, curing Sunday spectatoritis, I think. That, let's just redefine that for those people just that have tuned in recently. What is spectatoritis? Just define it quickly for us. 
Uh, spectatoritis. Well, uh, back in 1932, a guy named Jay Nash wrote a book by that title, Spectatoritis. And he defined a spectator as, and I'm going to quote him here, a watcher of somebody else. And I, I used the word curing in my title because of that quotation by Elton Trueblood. He wrote, all of us suffer from a terrible sickness in our churches. It is called spectatoritis. So basically, it's uh, watching other people do the action and us just passively sitting and and being an audience. And, and what's cool about your book, and I recommend people, they can get your book on Amazon now, right? I mean, people can get it? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Either, uh, either paperback or Kindle. Right. So uh, what I love about it is that it's not just a book about theory, how do we cure it. It is a book full of examples dozens and dozens of pages of examples of here's how pastors are curing Sunday spectatoritis. Pastors that are listening, please get a copy. Get your congregation involved. But it's really all about incorporating one anothering in the church. We've talked about greeting one another, praying for one another. How about encouraging one another? What does that look like? How can you build that into a church service? Oh, very, very definitely. Encouraging one another is is so important. Um, you know, by by encouraging, we we help others to continue to fight the battle to maintain their faith. And all of us, you know, that's that's a battle. Paul said, "I've fought the good fight." You know, I have kept the faith. Uh, it can take the form of affirming, of comforting, warning, exhorting, uh, and it's an antidote against the the damaging effects that uh, grief and loss can have. Uh, the erosion of faith and hope and love, uh, growing hard as a result of being deceived by sin, swerving away from the faith, turning away from God, that sort of thing. So it's very important. That's why the Bible emphasizes the need to encourage one another. And, and so often, you know, we're getting encouraged by the words of our pastor, but we need to be encouraged by our friends because sometimes we only get to see those people once a week and that time during the service and after the service to, in, to be encouraged to take time to encourage instead of having a, another program to go to right after the service. The encouraging. And you've got a pastor calling in, a former pastor, Lowell Bakke, who's also the director of the, of the doctorate programs for Bakke Graduate University. He's calling in and he's got a couple of phenomenal ideas we're going to talk to. Go ahead, Larry. Why don't you introduce Lowell and then I'll ask Lowell a couple of questions. Well, Lowell has uh, been used by the Lord to really change my life because uh, a few years ago, what was that, five years ago? No, it was more than that, six years ago. Um, uh, Lowell persuaded me to uh, pursue uh, a, a doctoral degree with the Bakke Graduate University uh, in the theology of work, which I did. I'd been interested in that subject for years. But uh, he was the one who uh, persuaded me to uh, to begin to to do uh, a, a doctoral program at my age, <laughs> and uh, so uh, I owe a great debt of gratitude to Lowell. I'm I'm very glad that he's with us today. Lowell, you have been a pastor. I know you're not currently a pastor. Well, I, I can't tell. You're what? Well, are you currently a pastor, or those stories that you wrote are those from a, a church you used to lead? Yeah, I I have uh I pastored for 35 years. I'm like Larry. I'm I'm over the hill, so they sent me out to pasture. <laughs> oh, come uh, on. Uh but uh uh yeah, we were involved in churches uh, for 35 years across uh, the country. I I got to tell you the examples when I tell people the examples of how to cure Sunday spectatoritis, I grabbed onto two of your examples and Bob Hyatt's. Those were the three that I had in my head going, "Whoo, I love those ideas." So 
talk to me, to you, what is your definition definition of Sunday spectatoritis? Well, I mean, basically, the, the church is, has been uh, has been the pastor's day. You know, everything has been about the pastor. It's how to make the pastor look like he's effective, and how to hear from the pastor, and all of this. So people come and sit, and um, and then we expect them to go out and do great things out there. But we never ask them how they're doing it, and we never ask them to write annual reports or to write back and say, this is how I did what I did, running a bank or running a uh, school or whatever. And particularly with, with youth and children, we, we expect them to love Jesus and to share Jesus, but we never, ever trust them with what they do. We never trust them inside the church to do anything, uh, but we expect them to do everything outside the church. So give me an example of how the spectatoritis was impacting the churches that you were leading. Well, I came to old and dying churches. That's basically what uh, what my lot in ministry was, to work with congregations 100 years old or near 100 years old that were in severe decline. They once had uh, impact, but it had no impact. And and often in those places you had very few people, very few children, very few youth, and and they were very you protected them. You never really trusted them or empowered them to do something. So they would come and sit, and they wanted to be entertained, and they wanted to do it in ways that you know made sense. But I I believe that we needed to, you know they he needed to hear far less of me and far more of them. So and what the did story. you do, what did you do? There was a couple of things noted in the book and a couple of different sections of things that you did to cure, to get your congregation more involved in the work of the body of Christ. What are some of the things that you did specifically? Well, I, I basically asked what the role of my pastor, what I was expected to do as a senior pastor, and then like Jesus. He was kind of the model we were supposed to look at, and he set aside all that he could do so others could do things, to bring others to maturity, to serve people so they could do something. So basically I said, you know, in a Baptist church, pastors have the power, they demonstrate that power through communion, or they just demonstrate that power through baptism. You know, they're the, the official things the pastor does. And I came to the conclusion, you show me anywhere in Scripture that I have to be the one doing baptism, we, when when children or parents or coaches or teachers led people to the Lord, and then I'm supposed to be there representing the church, but when I recognized the ones who were doing the changing was not the pastor, but it was these people who were out in their schools, in their uh, uh, groups, leading people to the Lord, modeling Christ in various situations, serving people so they would respond. And um, the result is, I asked my board, I said, is there any reason why I'm doing the baptism? Why don't, why don't we trust the people who actually lead people to Christ, who's, who are the major, major uh, support and mentoring in these lives, and, and have them in the church do as much as we expect them to do outside the church? And, and so we started we started giving. Uh, my job was to tell their story, to make sure that how they how they shared Christ or what why the impact was told. But uh, then these kids baptized their parents, uh, teachers, students baptized their teachers, 
players baptize their coaches, wives baptize their husbands. Uh, all of a sudden, spectator left. Uh, and our, our little church, which was dying, went from maybe 10 baptisms a year to, within three years, over 100 baptisms a year. Oh, man, that is because so cool. Because of, of the fact that these people took responsibility. Uh, I had a Lutheran pastor. One, one of our men, I said, who, who shared Christ with you? Who made the difference? And he and he said, "Well, it was my dad." I said, "Well, who's your dad?" Well, he was a he's a Lutheran pastor in California, and and he, he by his faith he baptized me as a child. But now I I believe God wants me to be baptized as an adult. And I said, "Well, well, great. Why don't you ask him to come and do this baptism too?" And uh, the, so here comes a Lutheran pastor to our church to baptize his son by immersion as an adult, and it was the most powerful thing in the world. Um, you know, it's amazing when you trust people where they're at. And by the way, when that pastor retired, he came to the church. He's now a deacon in, in, the, in the church. He's where I served. It's, it's, uh, it's, so pow- it's so powerful. And I'm interrupting you because you got one other really cool thing that you did, but letting people baptize the people they led to Christ— what a humble—it was just an example of humility. It's not all about you as the pastor. It was about the people that are in the field actually doing the harvesting. It, it was such a great example. But you also really—you uh, you took potluck to a whole nother level. And, 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 I, and I wanted to hear some of those stories, because as you, you talk about the power of food in, in church potlucks, in your—when you were at the— um, uh, Sumas, I might say it wrong, Advent Christian Church in, in Washington. Talk to me about how church potlucks. Well, the, the, the process when people brought food, um, you, you know, you, people knew that they could expect in a small church, you knew that Sam had this kind of food or Jim did this kind of food or Mary did this kind of food, but they never talked about it. They just did it. And and we asked them to share why was this important? Why why was this food? Uh, it, it, you know the the process of what they did when they were at their best. Why was that? Uh, why why did it mean so much? And as they began to share when they were at their best and why this food was at their best, they began to share their story. They began to share what God had done in their life and why they loved this, why they loved cooking, why they loved uh, sharing food with people. And, and the, the process was they began to tell their story. And the congregation became uh, stewards of the stories of their people. We think that preaching is what people remember, but in the Bible you can probably think of three or four sermons, maybe. But there are thousands or hundreds of conversations that you could recall just like that. And I said to these congregations, if you want to turn around, learn the conversational stories you have with one another and as you hear those stories and trust and, and steward those stories with one another and share those stories with other people, you will see that people will respond and you will grow spiritually and people will come to Christ as a result of 
hearing stories, not hearing sermons. Well, and it says in Larry's book, uh, Curing Sunday Spectatoritis, and we're talking today with Larry Peabody, who wrote this book, Curing Sunday Spectatoritis, and we're talking right now with Lowell Bakke, and part of his story in this book, on page 182, it said that the, the, the potlucks, the meal after church, became an extension of the main Sunday gathering. It was like church just moved on right. over a meal. Yes, And there's nothing that Christ followers love to do than fellowship over food, but you allowed that to really be an extension, and again, not to have it all about you, it was about what the Lord was, how the Lord was working in people's lives. Yeah, and I think that's really important that, you know, the reason Stephen was stoned was not because of his great sermon, it was because he reported things that happened outside the temple and outside of Jerusalem. And he came back to the people and said, this is what God does out here. It got him killed. The reason I wanted to be a pastor, not a deacon, is they get stoned first. <laughs> but uh, but, I, but I, think, I think we need to learn something here. The power that brings transformation is when the gospel is lived out and people take the time to listen to it and to value the stories of those who have, have experienced God in the midst of their week. Lowell Bakke, thanks so much for sharing those stories with us today on I Work For Him. I really appreciate it. My blessings uh, on all of you. And, Larry, keep writing, friend. <laughs> yeah, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> and, Larry, as we're talking about this one-anothering that really the Church needs to be an example of, and we've talked about greeting one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, those examples from, from Lowell about letting people baptize the people they lead to Christ, encouraging a weekly meal that everybody shares together. You know, they talked about that in, in, the, in, in Acts all the time, how they were coming together and sharing a meal and sharing communion, but everybody's sharing in that meal. It, it, that's that... When you talk about spurring one another on, it's it's really driven by food, I think, sometimes, too. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, spurring, really, uh, you know, we need encouraging, but spurring in the Bible is a little different. It, it helps us get back into action. Encouraging strengthens our faith, but spurring helps us, you know, get back in the game when we start to get lazy, start to kind of, well... You know, I'm, I'm just kind of going to let things slide here. Well, it's that but two we all need four to... up to the side of the head, I think, sometimes, too. Yeah, hey, come on, what are you doing? You know, the spur, that, that word's a good one. It, it's like a spur, you know, with a horse. Uh, it kind of gets us back back in the gallop again. Well, and both Lowell and Bob shared a little bit about the next one, teaching and instructing one another, because they're allowing people in their congregations to get involved in the teaching part of the process, that the pastor doesn't know everything, that people are being taught by the Holy Spirit, and they've got things to share, too. Well, absolutely. You know, we've come to rely on the professionals for almost all the teaching in our Sunday gatherings, but the New Testament says that we're to instruct and teach one another. There's another one of those one-anothering. Uh, and, and so we, we really do need to, to uh, learn <clears throat> excuse me, how to do that. Um, uh, some of the interviews in the books, the pastors have said, you know, that someone in the congregation makes a comment that is actually uh, more uh, insightful than what the pastor had prepared. And, and so we're, we're missing out on all this richness in the body of Christ 
just because of our traditional ways of doing church. Well, there's a lot of people listening today, Larry, that are a little, they're skeptical about, hey, if I go to a big church, that's never going to happen. Larry, there's a couple more things that people can do to cure Sunday spectatoritis, this one this one anothering, but there's several different one anotherings we could do. We've talked about greeting one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, spurring one another on, and that spurring thing, think horse spurs, teaching and instructing one another, but there's a couple of others. What are some of those other ones? Well, serving one another would be another. Um, and in, in the chapter 6 with the interviews, uh, there's several examples of the way pastors have structured things so that people may serve one another. And then confessing sins to one another. Uh, nowhere does the New Testament say that we're supposed to hang out our dirty laundry in front of a big crowd. Um, that's just not not appropriate. But uh, I explain in Chapter 5 and then in the interviews in Chapter 6, there are occasions, sometimes rare occasions, but when confession in a Sunday meeting can be both helpful and appropriate. Wow. Imagine how that would change the pace of a congregation. Actually hearing people share with reality in reality and transparency and go, hey, by the way, I've been really struggling with whatever it may be. I need your prayers. I need your help. And they're... That's what the body of Christ is supposed to be there for, to be there for one another. And as you wrote this book, Larry, Curing Sunday Spectatoritis, did it inspire you to help your pastor in your local church? I mean, how did your—you're not the main pastor in your local church, correct? No, I I pastored for 21 years, but uh, now uh, we're in another church, and I I preach once in a while. And uh, how are you helping that local leader in your local church to avoid this spectatoritis? Well, uh, for one thing, I, I uh, gave him a copy, <laughs> and, uh, but I, I was asked to, to bring the message a few uh, weeks ago, and I incorporated questions for the congregation, and I also asked a young woman uh, to give a five-minute faith story as part of the sermon on how God had set her free, and uh, that was powerful. People gathered around her afterwards. Uh, they didn't, didn't really know her. But uh, they gathered around, and, and she was very warmly uh, received, you know, for, for what she had shared. You know, what I loved is that you shared from one of your sons—one of your sons is a pastor, correct? Yes. A- and he's been working on curing Sunday spectator- spectatoritis in his church. What's he doing? Well, he has—I'm uh, trying to remember the number. It's a changing number because there's an expanding number, but I think it's about a dozen people now who who uh, actually share in the preaching teaching on a Sunday. Now, he does most of it, but, uh, but perhaps once a month uh, uh, he has someone from the congregation uh, who's, who, uh, you know, has been uh, qualified to uh, and gifted in, in that area. So, um, yeah, he's doing that, and I certainly encourage the participatory things he's doing uh, in his church. Larry, we could literally talk about this forever, but we're really out of time. I want to thank you for writing this book. I'm going to pray that you're given the opportunity to be an encouragement the rest of your life to pastors across the globe to cure Sunday spectatoritis, because this book is such a great example of helping people move their church from passivity to participation. Dr. Larry Peabody, thank you so much for being on I Work For Him today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Well, and we'll look forward to more conversations. Let me know what you're going to write on next. Maybe I can help. Who knows? Maybe I've got an idea. I, you never know.
Here's a shameless plug. Uh, buy your pastor a copy of this book for Christmas. That's a great idea, and they can buy it on Amazon, correct? Yeah, and then ask for an opportunity to talk about it. Curing Sunday Spectatoritis by Larry Peabody. Larry, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Hey, as we come to the end of another I Work For Him show, I just want to help you under... This is the way this book spoke to me, because I, when I interview an author, I read the book from cover to cover. And we used to mention Romans 12, too, at the beginning of every show. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That verse is for all of us. That verse impacts the way we go to church. If you're one of those people that goes to church, sneaks in, enjoys it, gets entertained and walks out and doesn't do anything else, you're missing so much. The church was meant to be a huge encouragement to all of us. The church was meant to be a a vibrant part of our lives. The church was supposed to be a place of encouragement where we could serve and be encouraged and be taught and spur one, one another on. There's so much you're missing if you're just sneaking in and out. Cure Sunday Spectator Edits by getting involved and, like Larry said, buy your pastor a copy of this book, Curing Sunday Spectator Edits. And in your workplace, start praying for your coworkers and employees by name every day. That's going to change how your attitude is to your, towards your workplace. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg, as we talked about curing Sunday spectatoritis. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace is my mission field, and I work for him.